of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I read an article last week about the one thing, apparently, that Bill Gates and Elon Musk have in common. And it is that they think the trick to remembering is the same thing. I find that sort of hard to believe that's the only thing they have in common, but that's what this author suggested. And the trick to remembering is this, according to both of those men. You have to be able to build yourself a framework a structure the whole picture so instead of just seeing the tree you need to be able to see the trunk and the branches before you can understand the leaves the details the facts the figures the little creepy crawly bugs that are moving along before you can know the details before you can remember and take that information in and make it your own you have to be able to see the whole picture to build a structure and a framework to understand how these things all relate to each other. And it caused me to think a little bit about the word remembering and about what that means. And for me, I think the image has always been one more of sort of gathering the fragments, of sort of fitting together the puzzle pieces. Because our brains are sort of interesting. They, they kind of do funny things when it comes to remembering. Our brains actually sort through and they choose what we're going to remember and what we're not. What details will stick with us and what won't. And sometimes things come back to us sort of piecemeal. We have to sort of return to a memory a couple of times before we can see it in its fullness. And so for me, I love the image of sort of gathering the fragments together and trying to, to piece the picture back into something that's almost whole. And then if we look at that word as Christians, we can superimpose some meaning on it, too. If we as Christians believe that we are all members of the body of Christ, then if you break up that word, there's the re and member. And we use the word a lot in our worship, specifically at the Eucharist, when, we, when I say the words of the institution, the, one of the, the chunks of words that Jesus actually said at the Last Supper when he says, do this in remembrance of me. So we have this image of remembering the body, of pulling the members of the body back together and making it whole again, so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world since he's no longer physical and visibly present. So remembering. It's in all of our texts this morning in one way or another, perhaps most prominently in the text that we have from Deuteronomy. Moses is talking to the people of Israel just before they go into the promised land because he knows that he won't go with them. And he's worried that once they get there, they will forget who they are. So he gives them this ritual that we heard about in the Hebrew scripture text today about bringing fruit and starting with that sentence, a wandering Aramean was my ancestor. What he's doing is forcing them to tell the story again. He's forcing them to remember where they came from. And where they came from was that wandering Aramean whose name was Abram. And Abram is the first covenant bearer, the first person that God makes a covenant with. And then he becomes Abraham, to whom a whole life is revealed. 
a brand new world, a promised land, and descendants more than the number of the stars. This is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And it's the first covenant of the Jewish people. There are others later, but this is the first one that makes them a people, that binds them to God and to each other. And obviously, it's also the first covenant of ours, because this is shared history. We share this with our Jewish brothers and sisters. So this covenant makes them who they are. This story of Abram, who becomes Abraham, to whom God literally promises the world. And Moses is afraid that when they get to the promised land, they will forget. Because see, in the wilderness, it's kind of dangerous. It's a little scary. You don't know where you're going. There's not a lot of resources. And the people of Israel had to depend on God quite literally for their life, for their food, for their warmth, for everything that made it possible for them to live and grow and eventually find their way, with God's help, to the promised land. Moses knows that once they get there, they will get comfortable. They will build houses and gardens and farms and walls. They will grow food, and they will come to believe that they have built their life on their own. They will forget that all that they have and all the fruit of the land comes originally from the fact that God gave it to them. And so Moses gives them this ritual hoping that if they tell this story to the generations to come, that they might not forget that God had done all these things for them, that God had guided them through the wilderness, brought them to a safe place, made them a people, giving them an identity. In the Gospel, Jesus goes out to the wilderness for much the same thing. The Spirit leads him out after his baptism and before his active ministry so that he might confirm his own identity and his own work. And while he's there, the temptations that come to him are all about power and loneliness and doubt. They're all temptations that we experience, all of us, in one way or another. The first temptation about bread seems easy enough that shortly after 40 days he was hungry. That makes good sense. But the deeper temptation there is for him to use his power in a way that he was never supposed to use it to create something that's a little bit like a magic trick, to step outside the bounds of reality and say, no thanks God, I don't need to depend on you because I can do this myself with my own two hands. The temptation was to be self-realized instead of depend on God. In the second one, the devil promises him all kinds of power and glory, authority over the kingdom, takes him up to a high place to see it. This one, this one is about power, and it's about privilege. And it's a stark contrast to the image that we have at the end of Lent when Jesus is raised up on a cross with no power and no glory. It's a stark contrast between the choice to have all of the kingdoms of the earth fall at your feet and perhaps even love you versus the people you came to save raising you up and betraying you instead. Love that turns the other cheek so much that it finally dies. Love that is more powerful than any of the powers of this earth. 
and creates a new covenant for us. The last temptation is something that Henry Nouwen calls spectacular. The temptation is to be spectacular. I like the word fabulous better myself. But the last temptation is to be seen, to be dramatic, to be saved, to have people know that you're important, to be liked, to be cared for. The last temptation is, is for Jesus to trade his identity, to throw himself down from the temple so that the angels will save him because he is special. And because that was intended to be the point of his work, right? All three of these temptations invite him to trade who he is and the work he comes to do for some kind of power, some kind of feeling, some kind of privilege of this world that will not fulfill him and will not fulfill his mission. And when he refuses them in the wilderness, He's confirmed, not only in his identity as the Son of God who comes to save, but also in the work that he will do when he leaves the wilderness. The invitation of Lent is for us to step into that wilderness with him, to follow him, to acknowledge that there are things, too, that tempt us, that would take us away from our own identity as the children of God, as beloved of God, the things that would distract us and remove us from the work and mission God calls us to do, to love and serve the world around us, to refuse the powers of this world and the things that won't fulfill us, and instead to choose God. And so for generations, Christians have given things up and taken things on, but the goal of that is to make some space. Because all of us who live in a slightly different but equally as distracting promised land, fill up the void around us with people and things and food and drink and travel and all kinds of things. And those aren't inherently bad things to begin with, but if we use them so much that we fill all the space around us, if we build walls and make those the most important pieces of our lives, then there is no way that we can hear God. No way that we can make enough space to do the work we need to do, especially in Lent, to look deeply and dig deeply into our hearts and make sure that our relationship with God and with each other is squared away. We cannot do those things if we are too comfortable. And so the invitation of Lent is to figure out how to pray more, how to study more, how to see the bigger picture of Jesus and the work he does how to come away from some of the noise. I looked up a, a list of what people usually give up for Lent at some point this week, and you would imagine it's a whole list of all kinds of things. It, my favorite was they would give up their favorite TV show. But the truth is, even that, even as superficial as that seems, when you turn off the TV and you walk away from some of the things that distract you, it leaves room and it leaves space. And if you've done that ever, there's some conversation with yourself and with God that gets a little more real without all the noise. And if we do it well, then it leads us into the same kind of place that Jesus is in when he wrestles with hunger and fear and loneliness and doubt. 
And the idea is not to stay in that place, obviously, but to be able to hear God through it, to hear God confirming our identity as beloved, and to hear God call us again to the work that we do as Christians, as part of our baptismal covenant. Like the people of Israel, the covenant that we have with God in Christ makes us who we are. And it should remind us whose we are, and that all that we have is a gift from God. So I hope that in these next 40 days, you will do that hard and holy work, that you will make some space and bring down the walls and bring down the volume a little bit so that you can hear God's voice, so that you can look at your relationships, not just with God, but with each other, and assess the places where you have fallen short, because we all do. I hope you will do that work, that you will return to studying scripture, that you will do the things that will help you make room and make space so that you can hear God again calling you beloved and so that you might be reminded of the work that you are called to do with your hands and heart and feet because it is all of our responsibility as Christians to remember to see the bigger picture to pull the fragments together to try to understand the story and our place in it and then learn how to claim that place enough that we physically remember together the body of Christ. That we recreate the witness of that body, the witness of that love that is self-sacrificing and kind and patient and overwhelmingly present, even though he is not physically here anymore. Do all of this in remembrance of me.